Hi, everybody. Welcome back to a very, very special edition, new episode of The Vocal. Here with me from across the country, your horizontal and south of me, is uh, basically the co-conspirator in this entire thing. <laughs> You've been playing this game with me for the last, let's say, two years of recording. And maybe maybe we should release some of those old practice recordings at some point, And then we can react to them. <laughs> Tara Simon style. Um, we have here my best friend from college, Alec. From Alec, do you want to tell everybody where you're where you're calling in from today? Hello. Yes. Well, I am currently coming to you from Keesler Air Force Base in scenic Biloxi, Mississippi. So I am very far, both in distance and in spirit, from Los Angeles right now. Yeah, you are spiritually in uh, in a couple worlds apart from from this coast. Um, Alec, what brought you, what brought you there? Was it just a nice little vacation? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I wouldn't call it nice or a little or a vacation, but it's basically that. Yeah, Got it. I'm here for two months to do some training, and then I get out of here on April third. Very much looking forward to it, and I'll be heading to sunny Albuquerque, New Mexico. So still due south, but also due west, which I think will be an improvement, all things considered. You've been touring the heartland uh, in a military capacity for the last. Eight months? Yes, Nine months? That's, that's right. Uh, it'll be eight months next week, which is crazy. And of all the places that I've been, I'll say I'm glad that I'm going to like end up semi-permanently in Albuquerque and not San Antonio or Biloxi. And speaking of Biloxi, I have to apologize for any background noise. There are a lot of college-age airmen, we'll say, who are uh, enjoying the nice Sunday evening weather out here. So I'll, I will try to avoid them, but not much I can do. That is not a sentence I don't think I've ever been able to say. So that in and of itself is a serve. Uh, and it, from my perspective, kind of sounds like coyotes, every other one. So, you know, whether it's animals or college-aged airmen uh, or both, it sounds like a really interesting good time. And I can hear like little sprinkles of like the Southern bugs. Is that true? Are there like cicadas or something? True. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we are, we are currently awaiting the emergence of our cicada broods. I think it's happening in May, but Yes, there are definitely some bugs out because it's unseasonably warm. It's like 70 degrees and it's uh, the first weekend of March. So they're out They're out early. I picture it as kind of like an end of world, like biblical thing when those things open. Isn't it every five years or something like that? Don't they have some sort of hatch cycle? Yeah, well, there's different broods and they all are in different parts of the country and they all operate on different cycles. I think most of them are on 17 year cycles and some of them are on 13 year cycles. And this year, 17. So happens to be, so, so this year happens to be overlapping broods. So there's two different broods on two different cycles that just so happen to have a common year this year. So this is going to be like the worst year for cicadas since the 19th century or something like that. Uh, I don't have to look it up, but that I remember reading that and thinking, well, that sucks. Well, perhaps that's why uh, in the pop world, all of the pop girlies are releasing music. They're trying to save you from oh, this imminent doom. My God, you're right. The pop girls are literally the cicadas and all of their album cycles are now spontaneously aligning. That is crazy. Right. It's like a cicada cycle, but for all the main and side pop girlies, of which there are... I don't know, 12 to 15 in front of me. So y'all today we're going to, we'll cover a few things, but it feels to both of us, we realized that 2024, as it's slowly ramping into like a very quick ascent is going to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest 
pop girly, main, like main pop girly release years that we've ever seen. Perhaps second to or or first to uh, 2016, which was a huge year. Maybe not so much not to gender it, but not so much about just the pop girls, but just pop and pop adjacent music. It felt like was so big uh, in 2016, and then all of a sudden, now almost in a way that you couldn't imagine it ever happening again. And then here we are, four years after the pandemic, almost to the day, like in a week, it will have been four years that we were all sent home for you know, quote unquote, two weeks. <laughs> um, and everyone's releasing. Um, maybe before we get into that, Alec, do you want to like, how how do we know each other? <laughs> like, where where do we go back to? And what, what do our text messages <laughs> tend to look like? Well, you know, it's crazy. I always kind of think about it at this time of year, because we actually met in February. I don't know if you remember that. But oh, I don't I remember the February connection. Cool. So I'm okay. So I, w- I was a freshman at Middlebury and you were a junior and uh, oh, I'm sorry. I was a first year. We're not going to gender our, our college years. Oh, all right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I was auditioning for our gender inclusive acapella group, the Middlebury right. Bobolinks. And actually we met for real. I want to say February because that was the audition cycle that I was actually admitted to the Bobolinks. I actually auditioned in the fall of my first year and did not get in. So you would have seen me. We would have been in each other's presence in the same room, but we would not have actually established a personal connection because I was rejected from the group at that point. But, you know, I... Sounds like um, such an intense word. (sighs) I persevered like Elizabeth Warren and came back. And uh, six months later, I auditioned again and the outcome was different that time. And so that was the point at which we actually became friends in February of 2011. And we actually, we were only in the group together for how long? Like would it have three been? semesters, maybe? Right, because you graduated in 2012. 12. So yeah. So it only would have been that first semester in 2011, and then the next year, fall of 2011 to spring of 2012. So we didn't overlap for that long, really. Well, you know, not long in Earth time, but spiritually, that overlap felt like, you know, a, a lifetime and a half. Like, I felt like we got so much out of that. I, I, I will speak personally. I got so much out of that overlap. That was a whole beautiful chapter of like the latter third of my college career. We had a, like a, a good little group um, within the group. And like, we started to like, I don't know, I don't know, just muse o- over things like pop music and side projects. And we, we have very different walks and we, our friend Claire too, remember, we would just like hang out and eat food and like everyone, we were all doing very different things with our lives, but it suddenly became like a very different experience than it had been for me and the group before that. And for anyone that's like younger than millennial, uh, I felt like college acapella during the millennial years of like the early 2010s was such a lightning rod for anyone that was attracted to like pop or pop adjacent or alternative music um to like hive mind and then it became the place where like people would like watch youtube videos in their house for <laughs> i don't know six hours after going out and like imitate riffs and i don't know it felt to me kind of like the musicians found themselves in a way through that medium for a really long time that was like the acapella heyday too of the tv shows and oh, the movies completely yeah. i mean that was i mean that time period was Glee, which I know is not totally acapella, but has a little bit of that same sort of 
reinterpretation of pop music kind of bent to it. But then also the sing-off was in its prime. And I think that was right about the time the first Pitch Perfect movie came out too, right? Yeah, it was all at once. It was wild. And it was like the folks that were behind all of those projects were generally the same little collection of people who were like pitching the songs or, or writing the arrangements and everything. And our little like dog and pony show up in <laughs> rural Vermont, like, you know, we did our best, <laughs> but uh, both of us wrote a lot of arrangements and we were trying to like, we, and you directed for how many semesters? Just two. I did it my two. junior spring and my senior fall. Right. It's definitely a serve to relinquish in your senior spring to someone else and be like, I'm not um, doing this anymore. It was the- best thing ever yeah i think i did the same thing i can't remember but yes so we are we're creatives and uh while we have very different lives now uh we don't see each other all that often we do our text messages in some capacity can and should be monetized through all means necessary because they contain the annals of the last like 12 years of pop music probably even more with more rich detail than any of the combined Wikipedia pages do because it's Wikipedia and all of the different like liner notes and citations and tour lists and all the things you can like scrapbook together using the internet plus the hot takes, you know, (laughs) and like, well, okay. I have to ask you about that because how far back do your text messages go? Like, do you, does your phone delete your texts or how far back could you scroll? That's a great question. Um, I've probably had four phones since we were friends and I don't think the first, two actually probably five and i don't think the first two of the iphones were backed up in in the way that they are now and honestly alec i was looking for something in our text from three days ago and it took me so many scrolls that i like gave up yes so yes like i could sit here as like an endurance test and then carpal tunnel myself (laughs) into like oh yeah no but i'm not sure if you search it maybe it tells you yeah i think that's right and i i was just curious because my phone deletes texts Quickly. So once a, a text is a year old, it's gone. And that's just because my phone is too full of other things to keep them around. But I, I agree to even go back a week or a month would be sitting at the phone, scroll, 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 scroll for however long. So for very long. Yeah, it's, not, it's, it's an exercise in futility. It is. Unfortunately, I, you know, I hope that some cloud server contains it in some searchable capacity and then AI can like crawl it and i don't know put some ai voice and then that can just we can just release that as the podcast at some point (laughs) just narrations it would honestly be pretty good it would be fantastic i saw a new ai voice creation today of ariana speaking german like oh my god it's really scary ai is really scary um well so in an attempt to like I don't know. I think those 10 years have set us up very, very well. We have now a a long history of having discussed this and volleyed this stuff back and forth. I think 2016 as a year stands out in my mind. And then like, please tell me how it lives in your mind as just the time when it was as, as you and I have shared before, we encode musical memories because of like what's going on in our life for sure. And I was having a great year. It was like one of my, I don't know, peak years of that time of my life. It was like my favorite year in my twenties. And then it was all of the musical releases that fed me. It was also the year of like gospel pop was coming into fashion the way that like house and country are in fashion in the pop world now. And I really, really loved that. It was gospel pop and R&B. The releases were like, it was kind of Aaron Allen Kane's first bubbling ups and the the Chance the Rapper and like that sound. Um, Yebo was like, you know, out there for the first time. And then the major releases were like, one after the other, after the other, after the other. We had just had 
Adele's 25, which was so big in the winter before. I think we had just had Demi Lovato's Tell Me You Love Me, which had the like gospel pop uh, single Sorry Not Sorry, which is still one of my favorite things she's ever done. And then the new year brought like Beyonce's Lemonade, which, you know, stands up. We don't even need to really discuss the the how big that was. Uh, Frank Ocean released the double album shortly thereafter. What else am I missing? I felt like there were so, so, so many. Well, the big one that immediately comes to my mind. Ariana Grande. Ariana Dangerous Woman. But then also the last Rihanna album, Anti, was I think January Oh my God. Wow. She hasn't released anything since. That's amazing. Yeah, so 2016. Just, just, you know, songs here and there, but no album. And then as of social media today, she apparently, you know, took a page out of Beyonce's book and took a check for like a, a wedding in not Dubai, but it was like in India. Did you see any of these videos? She performed for the first time in like eight years. I did. And it was pretty funny. It was. She's going through the motions, collecting her check. <laughs> um, Which like, get it. Honestly, get it. Oh, yeah. Work. Although, you know, I do live for the commenters that are like, well, can we talk about the sociopolitics of like the, where this money is going from? But, you know, she's like, no, shut up. Right. <laughs> the, the appropriate answer to that is like, no. <laughs> Before we wait, before we move on to 2024, there's a couple others from 2016 that I oh, am remembering. So I am not at all a big Drake fan, but I will say that Views was a huge album in a way that permeated even into my consciousness. So if you remember Hotline Bling, One Dance, huge, huge. Too Good, the Rihanna feature, like that was a huge album. Then it was also the tail end of Purpose, the Justin Bieber album. So this is like the biggest pop song she's ever done. What do you mean? Sorry. Uh, love yourself. Yo. And uh, Sia also. This is acting. And uh, what was the other oh one? Oh my goodness. No, 1,000 Forms of Fear was earlier. But that this was like Sia, this is acting. Before. It was like her second album of the two that were putting her into the pop world in a really big way. Like she was a known name at that point. Yeah. Right wow yeah there was so much and even still there's probably even more like i think 2015 was that also the first jess glenn album or was that 14 maybe 15 no you're right that was 15 so we were like we you and i both we just exchanged or you sent me a tour video from the jess glenn tour and then it uh reminded me that like two months later i went to that same tour um in the winter time somewhere in like the winter spring yeah there was a lot and and maybe like Taylor, uh, where was Taylor? Taylor was on the tail end of 1989, right? And then pre-reputation. Well, 2016 is famously Taylor's. Oh, it was the dead year. year. Because yeah. if you remember, it was the dead year. Because up until that point in her career, she first released in 06. And every album cycle from then on was every two years in October, October or yep. November. So she released in 06, 08. 10 12 14 she gets to 16 and it was like the perfect storm of bad publicity and things that she didn't want to comment publicly on so you remember first it was the whole relationship dissolving with calvin harris because they co-wrote that song that rihanna featured on and then they had this weird spat in the press about it when he made some comment that she didn't like and then they ended up breaking up because they were dating at the time and then immediately it was the Kanye feud with the Kim Kardashian releasing the, leaked the video. audio of the phone yeah. call. Exactly. Like the proving that Taylor lied about whatever it was that she lied about. And then, of course, this was the Hillary versus Trump election year. And 
it was very en vogue for uh, pop artists to to come out against Trump and yep. Hillary. If you remember um, Katy Perry doing the the, the campaign stops for yep. Hillary and Beyonce and Jay-Z yep. rally for her and all that. But Taylor was still trying to walk this very delicate line between appealing to the gays, you know, the, the urban sort of progressive uh, intellectual forefront of the country while also kind of clinging to her ancestral audience of like the white country girls who are more conservative or even apolitical. And so she made some different decisions about how to not engage during that year. And I think strategically after all of the Kanye Kim stuff went down, she just decided this is a great excuse for me to just burrow away and hide and say nothing while this very controversial election is taking place. So she was not actually in the picture at the time, which maybe was part of the reason why there was so much space for other projects to breathe. I don't know. Right. And I think the thing that pulled her out of that, at least on the political front was not even the presidential race, right? Wasn't it like a, like a congressional off election year thing in her home state or something like that. And that it was like some anti-abortion crusader or something like that. And that was like what finally woke her up. And I think it was captured in the right, right. document. She, one of the documentaries that she released is the only memory I have of that. She got a lot of flack for sitting out 2016. I think she realized she, would not be able to do that again at her level. And so in 2018, she came out and she endorsed Phil Bredesen, who was the former governor of Tennessee, a Democrat who was running for Senate. There was an open Senate seat and he was running against Marsha Blackburn, who is truly one of the worst people to ever walk with. That, the that's the one. Right. Yeah. Right. But of course, he didn't win. She won. So her endorsement was for naught. But she at least realized that she had to get off the sidelines. So she didn't, she not only sat it out, she waited another like year and a half, two years. That's crazy. Yes. I don't, it it's hard to remember these timelines. Yeah. Yeah. That took quite a long time. And then now she's somehow the biggest pop star in the entire world and pretty political, right? Or like more, maybe more like social political than expressly US political, but she'll, there's so much press about her getting involved in the election. She hasn't yet this year, right? But there's so much expectation right. about like, who she will apply her endorsement to and how that may change, like turn the tides of what's going on early right now. Um, right. And Beyonce Absolutely. as well as the two Titans. Absolutely. I mean, Taylor, if memory serves, did endorse Biden in 2020. Uh, yeah, but definitely. even since then, you know, her star has magnified a hundredfold, which is kind of insane to say, considering how famous and powerful she was back then. But she is now, I would say, probably the single most powerful and influential celebrity on the planet. At least I can't think of an immediate yeah. counterexample. So I, I think that her endorsement, should she choose to offer one this time, will be impactful in a way that it wasn't last time. She and Beyonce have unlocked a level of social prestige and power that literally I don't think existed back then. So I, it, in a way, what you just said, it's like she was she was a version of what she is now then, but no one was at the level that she's at now then and now it's her and beyonce you know like we've unlocked we've unlocked a new level and the club that they roll in like the billionaires club maybe being like the the other folks on that list they are very powerful in many other ways but people don't necessarily listen to them at least like the youth doesn't listen to them and they don't seem to control culture the way that these singers do who are like pop culture icons among among many other things do you think there's uh, it was, I had not thought about it as 
an election year vis-a-vis like a big release year for all of these pop girls it seems almost auspicious that like on these election cycles 2020 was kind of a big year but because of the pandemic i think a lot of even the folks on this list that will start going through like withheld albums or, or some broke through and chose to release them anyway famously like future nostalgia and chromatica but yeah. others withheld do you think there's anything to the like be out and vocal and on the tour trail in a year where there's a huge American election going on? Or do you just think it's like random cycles syncing up? That is a great question. And I don't know the answer. I do think that presidential election years definitely have a special feel about them, just in the sense that narratively, the year seems to be building towards something at the end of it. And so everything just feels a little bit more heightened because there is this competitive framework around which everything else is revolving. So it's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing. I don't know whether the election cycle causes the album releases or if it just heightens what would already have been there and causes causes us to interpret it in a different way. Yeah, and it's uh, it's maybe even subconscious. And not all these, not necessarily all of these musicians are American, but I think the majority of who we've listed are as we start talking about them. But it is almost subconscious. And maybe there's just energetically something to the every four year thing. Like artists usually really, the the big, big, big pop artists, it feels like when they're peaking, go on like a two to three year cycle. But the ones that are like a little bit more in their like steady state, I think it's usually four. So maybe it's kind of both random and subconscious. But just looking at the size of this list alone, I can't even imagine the amount of like tour infrastructure that's going into supporting however many of these artists that are releasing major albums this year go, decide to go out on the road. You know, like there's only so many tour companies, there's only so many venues and there's only so much like so many like roadies. <laughs> I mean, if, maybe let's just walk through like, so the year started with JLo um, who I have not consumed almost anything of <laughs> other than like the ancillary press around like her SNL appearance and right. IO having some things to say. Um, the big one, the one that feels like energetically connected to us right now is Ariana Grande on uh, Friday of this coming week. She'll release um, e- Eternal Sunshine, right? Um, right? Casey Musgraves will release. See, I didn't write all the dates down, but she's the the next one in line. Um, then Deeper followed well. by Deeper Well, which we've got two songs from so far. We'll focus. Yeah, we'll focus on those like those few today. Then ahead, we have Justin Timberlake having uh, said that he's coming out with something this year and already started promoting it. Obviously, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, those are, in a sense, back-to-back, which is so wild. And just on the heels of their most recent tour cycles, movie theater promotions, like the seismic stuff that was happening quite literally just this last summer, it feels so quick. I can't believe it's not just one of them but it's both of them putting out an album between mid-March and mid-April. It's wild to me. Like they are, they are in control (laughs) in a way that I just can't, it's almost, I can't reckon with Um, maybe not a major or main pop girly, but Jess Glenn, who I think kind of like birthed the, the disco pop genre in the way that we still continue to see it today, or at least opened the floodgates back up. She's releasing in late April then we have an, a lot of no date yet releases, but known releases that are coming. So Dua Lipa, her 
third album. Is that right? Her third one? Yeah. Yep. Um, the often uh, criticized the kind of like f- the folklore around this artist is so hot high. And we did get uh, not, not a release date, but a release announcement, which is Normani. Also her sister in fifth harmony, Camilla seems to be uh, building to a release this year. Marin Morris, who has exiled herself, uh, you know, from country music, yep. oddly enough, as country music is being claimed by almost half of this list, hilariously, she's said, no, I'm done with it, uh, is working on a record with Jack Antonoff to be released this year. So far has only released a cover, but like a little bit of a, a moose-bouche of the sound that she's going with, which if you're working with Jack Antonoff, it's generally like alternative rock in the style of his band Bleachers or something in the vein of like Lana Del Rey or Taylor Swift's Folklore. Um, Speak of the Devil, Lana Del Rey is releasing this year. Shakira is releasing this year. We just found out that Charlie XCX is releasing this year and just released a banger like not three days ago. Um, Selena Gomez is either rumored or confirmed to be releasing this year. Two alternative kind of like alt-rock girlies announced. So Claro is releasing this year, another muse slash maven of jack antonoff at least one of her big albums or one of her albums was from him saint vincent is releasing this year and then there are rumors tell me if i've named all of them of lady gaga which feels like i don't know about that one but maybe have you heard any read anything there was some teasing going on by her so if it's not happening then at least people are not crazy for thinking it could be happening put it that way Oh, she teased it? I didn't know that. Yeah, she... Uh, let me see if I can find exactly what she said. Let's yeah. see. Dig that up. And then the other three are Katy Perry, rumor, Billie Eilish, rumor, and Sia, rumor. Sia is the only one of that bunch that I saw anything to support the rumors. She, like, changed her... Maybe because I follow her. She changed her logos or her icons or like maybe the the banner on spotify was changed so it seems like she has an album to release this year so i mean all told that is one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen forty fifty sixteen seventeen eighteen nineteen twenty twenty one that's twenty one like pretty big pop artists releasing full scale albums uh and maybe 15 at the least are gonna happen and like up to you know 21 or let's say 2024 uh could be released this year that is wild that's that's an average of like one to two a month which is pretty <laughs> it's pretty significant so the gaga thing the gaga thing is just pictures from the recording studio so that might be a little wishful thinking on the part of the fans because if we're gonna go yeah. that deep then there's another, I would say, main pop girl who has been quote unquote teasing from the studio since about December. Oh, uh, basically the only one that you haven't named yet. Um, let's, I don't know if you could think of them off the top of your head. Who have Ma- a main yet. pop girl? I, I would say a main pop girl whose last um, album was in 2021 tends to release every three to four years. Pop pop, like center lane pop. I would say so. I mean, she has done different styles throughout her different albums, but she is definitely in the main pop girl stratosphere. Uh, let's see. Well, on the young bunch, we've got Billy on the list. Olivia is definitely not releasing this, or she's touring. Right. Uh, on the millennial bunch, I don't know. You'll have to well, tell now, me. See, 
it's someone who straddles that line very, very closely. I'm not even sure if this oh, it's is it Miley? No, it's Lord. Oh my god. Interesting. Lord to release new album. Who on this like giant master list do you think is going to like serve it to us? Like who's gonna really knock this out of the park? All right. Well, I may be biased here, but the first thing that comes to mind is Beyonce. Yeah. Uh, um, I would say Beyonce. I would say Dua, based on what we've heard so far, is going to serve it to us. Yeah, and they've been good. My my top three would be those two, and gosh, I might say Charlie. Honestly, I have been really into what she's been doing recently. But okay, now I want to hear yours. The Charlie single, as a I, you know. We'll flesh out our our respective fandoms, like the Venn diagram throughout our episodes, like me, you, and where our overlap is of who we like, not just fan, but maybe like Stan. And I don't right. know if you would, would you say you Stan, Charlie? I think I would, yeah. I think that okay. I'm an angel. I'm an angel. Is that what her fandom is called? I didn't know that. Well, Charlie's Angels, naturally. Uh, oh my God. My millennial old aging mind is blown. Um, I think based on just Charlie's single, it's such a banger. I did not expect, I would not expect to like a new release from Charlie this much because I generally am kind of middling on it. This thing is so good. It's so good. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, well, of the, of all of these artists, we only have one body of work and I haven't listened to it yet. So that's Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that's think... enough on its own that you haven't listened to it. Yeah, before. that's the data. Um, I said in my in a previous episode in this uh, in this pod that I don't think Ariana's is going to be a, a home run. I think it will have glimmers. She always has spots of genius. She's a brilliant musician. I don't think this body of work is going to be it. Capital I. I agree. I, I love the agree. single. Uh, those that are like around her are you know saying it's incredible that have heard it and that like. You know, she's kind of queen of the faux leak of, as you and I have both now watched this video that she uploaded to her YouTube of like showing the label representatives. And they're obviously so excited about it because they're paid to be excited about it in a way. I don't think they would lie to her, but if we're seeing a video of the final edits, they've already heard it like three times. So anyway, I don't think that's going to be one of them. I think it's the uh, analog to Mariah's charm bracelet. As I've said, it's the bridge to the emancipation album. So when the emancipation of Ari comes out, I think that'll be the, the home run. <laughs> um, I am actually kind of stoked about Casey cause I did not love the most recent album and we can unpack that one a little bit, but golden hour was so amazing that I know that she has high highs and I would love if this one, maybe not in a pop way, but in like a, you know, singer songwriter way, I would love if someone on this list, instead of going country country as the tide seems to be moving, went more singer songwriter like the the 2000s nostalgia pop has been so strong kind of since the pandemic like my, the one that i latched to initially was rena sawayama she was the one who like showed me that the sound was coming back of like the boy band girl band britney spears era and she was such an incredible like vessel of it but she didn't really pop off in the way that she could have it, what it did for me was it made me think, what are the other 2000 genres that I would love to come back? One of them is the 
like Cheryl Crow. I would love early 2000s yep. Cheryl Crow. And I think if Casey, if anyone on this list can do it, I think it's her. So if that's what she puts out, I would really love that. Um, I think, I, I mean, I'm not going to be listening to the Taylor album. Like it's, I'll listen no, to what I'm forced to listen to because it's on outside, but, or it's on social media. I, I wasn't stoked about the Beyonce going country at first because it seemed to me that she was trend chasing for the second time in the last few years. It felt like she was a little late to house and now it feels like she's a little late to country, but she's doing something so different in a storytelling capacity with these genres. So I think it'll be a complete serve and she'll work with the best of the best and the, you know, the production will be so incredible. So I'd say that one. And then, you know, I want to say Marin Morris because I love her so much and her most recent album was my favorite. So she's coming off of a high, but usually that's not a sign that the next one's going to be even higher. And I don't know if alt rock Marin is going to hit the way that like soft rock, soft country Marin did on, I almost said golden hour, but no, the last album was called um, <laughs> Humble Quest. Humble Quest. I, just, I mean, that was a no skips album for me. I loved it so much. So she's maybe... As far as my taste level, she's maybe peaked. Not that she couldn't peak again, but back-to-back seems unlikely. Uh, so maybe my wild card will be uh, also Charlie. Maybe Charlie will... Maybe this will be the one. Seeing as nothing in Charlie's full discography has like front-to-back connected with me, maybe this is the one. So maybe I'll say Charlie I would love too. that. I would honestly love that. I would, <laughs> I would live for that. I would feel more authentically queer if that happened. You know, I feel like I'm missing something. <laughs> I've been waiting. Like, I, you know, I'm not shaming myself, but I'm like, what am I missing? Um, so, all right. Pre-Ariana, what I said in my earlier episode uh, that maybe like a handful of you, right, have have listened to a fragment of was I do think if you consider the kind of like age old comparison of Ariana to Mariah on their respective trajectories, obviously, you know, probably like 20 five years apart uh, as they're peaking um, ish. I could do the math better. I think Ariana's in a, in one of the dips. I think she's riding her career more sustainably, certainly more sustainably as a singer. But again, I think this will be her charm bracelet album. And I guess my last comment, and then I really want, want to hear what you're expecting is the, for her to release a house hit was so cute like a month ago when it came out and it's a great song. I don't know if, if a whole house album I think if it is like that, by the third track, I'm going to be like, nah, you kind of missed it. Like, it's going to be great, but you missed it. Like, how do you feel about, what do you think from the genre perspective? And and like, what do you, how, if you were, oh, how about we could do this? What do you, what is your anticipatory pitchfork ranking without hearing any of it <laughs> for Ariana's yes. eternal song? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, okay. I'll say this. I am excited to hear Ariana Grande music that is not her sort of whispering over trap beats because she really got stuck <laughs> in that lane for a couple albums yeah uh, i loved what she did on thank you next i think that she really cornered the market on that album but then she kind of carried it over to positions and i felt like positions was not enough of an evolution for me to really get behind there are individual songs on the album that i absolutely adore but I didn't connect with it the way that I had pretty much all of her three previous albums. So just to see her moving away from that and into something different for her, even if it's something that we've heard a lot of in the zeitgeist recently, sure. I'm happy with that. But I agree. I am hoping that it is not going to be an album full of Yes And, because Yes And is a great song, 
but I think the track list was pretty long. I think it was like 14, 15, 16 tracks, something like that. And oh my goodness. In an album of that length, you have to be a little bit more versatile. So I'm hoping that we get a little bit more variety from her. I don't think that she's, uh, quite frankly for me, I don't think she's ever going to top Dangerous Woman for me. I think that was the peak of her career. And all DW. But I would love to be proven wrong. Dangerous Woman was also a long album. And as you you came to the realization so much sooner than I did, I think my pop taste level was considerably, like measurably more basic back then. And I was just living for the front half, which was all the singles. And then like, as singles do, they flamed out. I got a little bored of them. The single Dangerous Woman's kind of a strange song. Like it's like the little I un- actually don't really like that song. It's loud. Gonna, I love the album. That's it's like slow. On the album. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird it's song. She's plotting. She's it's plotting plod. Like plod pop, right? Like that's that was of the time. Right. And when that went away and wasn't that cool anymore, it was it didn't stand up. But then the back half of that album was like beautifully deep rich edm singles her voice she was so rangy she sang the highest recorded notes she's ever sung like in her both mixed belt and her whistles on the back half of that album it was so incredible what were your favorite moments if you remember of the dangerous woman era if that was actually yeah like you said that was your favorite ariana era right oh easily so i love all those singles and i actually think that most them have stood the test of time like i just listened to into you and side to side last week and be all right all still bangers all still hold up but i will agree that the second half the back half is really like where the money is i think i love bad decisions that might be my favorite i also love we're agreed uh, there the new better forever boy uh yeah and then another one that i another one that i didn't give as much attention to it and that I've recently come to love more and more is Touch It. That's low-key an absolute banger. So Hell yes. I honestly think that that album is no skips. I, I don't love certain songs on it, but I, I will listen to that album all the way through, even eight years later. Touch It is incredible. So intense. The, the, the synths are so big on that song. It's like a rocket ship taking off. And for that to be the last song, she usually ended on something really delicate and she ended on like a rocket fuel ride. It was so cool. Bad Decisions is incredible. The one I have one skip on that album, which is uh the Macy Gray. Okay, tell me. Oh wait, wait, can I guess? Can I guess? I'm sorry, already oh, I yeah, told you. Okay, yeah. uh, let me love you or whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, like... no, 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 no. That was the little Wayne one. What's the Macy Gray one called? It's um uh, Leave Me Lonely. Uh... Leave me. I almost said I try. I'm such a simple fan of Macy Gray. <laughs> uh, yeah, Leave yeah, Me Lonely. I, I think is not great. Um, it was she was doing this There's like some weird stuff that happens in there. Burlesque pop kind of genre with some of those songs, yeah. and that one was a little strange. But yeah, agreed. So maybe yeah, because of the the runtime or the the length, she'll have more real estate with which to like do something interesting. I can't imagine so what I, I lied. It's not. It's not 14, 15, 16. It's actually 13. So that's that's on me. But she has actually released the entire track list. So we have uh, titles and we have songwriters for the whole album. Okay, give me the titles and I'm going to pick my two favorite songs. And then you tell me what your two favorite songs are. Do you have this, them in so front of you? I have it in front of me right here. So it's 13 songs. The first one is called Intro, parentheses, End of the World. The second one is called Bye goodbye but just bye yeah 
The third one is called Don't Want to Break Up Again, which sounds like it's about the husband that she broke up with. I'm going to love that one. The, I can already tell. Probably, yes. That's also uh, a Max Martin Ilya. Hell yes. So. I'm going to love that one. The next one is called Saturn Returns Interlude, which interestingly enough, Saturn Returning was also referenced on that first single from Casey's album. So these women of about 30 years old are That's right. their age. That's right. The next one is the title track, Eternal Sunshine. Also on the Saturn train, SZA's most recent deluxe single from uh, SOS is Saturn. They're all hitting it. Yes. Yeah. They're all feeling that Saturn return. Uh, Track number six is called Supernatural. Okay. Track number seven is called True Story. Uh, I don't know what this means. Track number eight is called The Boy Is Mine. Yeah, I saw that. She is a writer on it with and so it's not a cover because it's just, I mean, obviously I wouldn't expect her to put a cover like that in the middle of her album, but interesting that such uh-huh. an iconic song title she's repurposing. Uh, number nine is Yes And, the single that we have already heard. Yep. Followed by uh, track 10, We Can't Be Friends, parentheses, Wait For Your Love, which has already been announced as the second single, which is going to drop the same day as the album. So I was literally just about to one. say, that one's given me single energy. That feels like another house yeah. anthem. Yeah. So that one's going to come out on Friday with the album. Work. And then the last three are I Wish I Hated You. Okay. Imperfect for You. And the last song is called Ordinary Things. And it is featuring Nana. And for the Arianators, which, <laughs> side note, I love that fandom name. It's so uncreative. It's chaotic. Uh, the Arianators will know that Nana is her grandmother. So in some way, shape, or form, Ariana Grande's grandmother will be featured on this album. Oh, I thought it was like N-A-N-A, and it was an artist. Yes, yes, yes. Her Nona's in... Uh, uh, oh, Nona, yes, I'm sorry. Um, Bloodline. She's in the intro to Bloodline. That's right, that's right. yeah. That's funny that I somehow like spiritually found the singles just based off the the phrases. Um, what do you think you're gonna like just from the words? Well, I would agree with you. I think you picked out the singles. I would love to hear what she's going to do with "The Boy Is Mine." Yeah. Uh, and I'm curious about the title track because that I assume is right the theme or the song that she decided to base the album around. So I'm wondering what the thesis statement will be there, if you will. Yeah. You know what it makes me think of is the title track on Sweetener, though. I could have done without oh, that on true. the album. It was not good. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But then, you know, thank you, Next. So it kind of goes both ways. Full banger. What did you think of Positions? What was your position on Positions? <laughs> I thought that Positions was good but uneven. I think there were super high highs on there. Like, you know, I love my hair. Great song. Uh, yeah, that was amazing. And then what was the one that she did with the one with Ty Dolla Sign? Um, Safety Net is a good song. Safety Net. Safety Net. That's a great song. And then the one with The Weeknd is pretty good, too, off the table. The, all the collabs on that album were hitting. And then I also really liked Just Like Magic, even though I recognize that it's not a good song. Something I remember about you love that. Me. Yeah. Yeah, I love that song. But yeah, yeah that was that, those were the ones. But then there was a lot of. It felt like there was a lot of filler on there too. Yeah, it felt so, like a mixtape. I remember you were kind of iffy on it. 
I yeah. thought that album was a mixtape. It was short songs. Everything was 230, 240, no final choruses. Like it, it felt like ideas that she didn't finish. And it sounded like ideas that she yeah. didn't finish. And the 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 sonic yeah. bed of it was very pretty. It was it was like Honeymoon Avenue plus uh Thank You Next as an album. It was like the butterfly lovely yeah. string rainbows plus the trap pop had a baby and it was cute and when it hit i i loved it i thought the single was gorgeous i thought positions with like yeah. nice headphones had beautiful beautiful production in it and was very well done but it was everything was so short and kind of like not saying a lot i don't know um felt like a transitional era and for i guess it was her pandemic album so it was just kind of like yeah it was absolutely her pandemic album yeah so maybe it was just like the the i don't know the sourdough bread that she had been making for the year you know <laughs> she's uh, like i just need to start fresh and delete all these from my hard drive so here you go yeah she, she burned her g drive after that um what all right now on the whole for the full body of work what pitchfork ranking and for those of you that don't know pitchfork continues to this day i don't know how long they've been doing this i don't even really know how long they've been out do you know alec they are an invention of the late 90s like they're very okay. much internet age it was some college guy who was in his sure. dorm room in like 1997 who started doing it and it just sort of grew from there and it was at the time very 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 alternative like they wouldn't actually review yes. anything pop and then the digital age yes. kind of pulled them in because the digital marketing wouldn't, they wouldn't get clicks on these albums that no one had ever heard of. And so they didn't get to have, they didn't get funding and all that stuff, it seemed like. So now they just review these pop albums and the comments. If you, if you follow Pitchfork on any social media platform, half of the comments are from boomers and Gen Xers pissed off that they're even reviewing any of this stuff. So like they post something about Taylor and it, half the comments are just like, oh my God, y'all have gone the way of the, you know, whatever, like, this is so basic and boring, but it's like they've been doing this for like, I don't know, 10 years now. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, but they do assign a numeric ranking to every album as if it were normalized on some one or potentially zero to 10 scale. Right. I think that's the scale. Most things falling between five and eight. And I think anything eight or above is deemed best new music. And they've made some weird choices Obviously, I think that's part of their brand is making really strong choices. And I don't necessarily know their review. I think you know their reviews by reviewer better than I do. I don't necessarily know the takes based on the last name of who's writing it. I don't think I have that level of association. But I can kind of expect what they'll like and what they don't like the same way I've come to learn what The Guardian likes and what they don't like. For example, I, I just know who they villainize. The Guardian hates Ed Sheeran. And I think Pitchfork sure. hates certain pop artists I, I have a, i have a couple reviewers there that i like and follow and generally right. enjoy like i know that you love alexis petridis from the guardian from He's guardian big one i trust him yeah um, yeah exactly for me at, at pitchfork it's uh sam zadomsky i feel like is usually uh, on the oh, money yes, and yes. then uh rawia kamir is like my goddess like she just always says exactly what i'm thinking so and those are those, kind of my big two from pitchfork do they review pop albums Oh, 100%. Rawia's big, like, viral moment was when she gave kind of a lukewarm review to the big Lizzo album, like the first Lizzo album that came out after she broke big. And Lizzo tweeted it and said something along the lines of, if you don't make music, you shouldn't be allowed to write shitty album reviews. And and so all of the Lizzo stands got sicked on Rawia. But she 
had an amazing, thoughtful, critical, incisive response that actually got Lizzo to back down and say, oh, geez, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. So like, that was a big, whoa, really? Uh, yeah, it was, that was one of the moments where I was like, okay, I rock with you. Um, oh, wow. It's not common that the artist will actually back down. And I don't necessarily yeah, expect like them to. Yeah, like deleted the tweet and everything. Yeah, yeah, no, completely. Like they can rep their stuff. I don't. I honestly don't even want to like every single album from the artist that I love. I I want them to do weird things and to experiment. But that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean that album. Yeah, I mean, wasn't like, what is great to me? So it, I would be open to reading an oppositional piece of on it for sure. And the thing was, it wasn't even oppositional. It wasn't like, oh, this sucks. It was more just sort of like, this is tepid and not the star turn that she thinks it is. Yeah. I felt it was tepid. All right, that makes sense. Okay, maybe I should like bookmark her by last name and read more of her reviews. But the the zero to 10 scale, I have actually seen one zero. I think they have one zero and they post it as like, clickbait every once in a while of like hey reminder that we did actually give a zero to an album once and i don't know who it was yes oh Uh, i know exactly who it was it was uh do you remember the uh do you remember that song um are you gonna be my girl that australian rock band jet yes jet got a zero it was their it was the album after are you gonna be my girl it was 2006 i think the album was called get born i want to say and that is the album that pitchfork gave a 0.0 and i think the whole review was like it was a picture of like a chimpanzee urinating or something like that oh no okay so yeah they were they they decided to go in and troll oh it's called shine on is the album oh shine on no get born you're right get born was the one that had are you going to be my girl on it shine on is the album that's right that's right it's a monkey peeing in its own mouth is the visual that was presented right, right right The, oh, and they've actually, maybe my browser's not working. They, it seems like they've actually removed the text. Maybe it was too controversial. They just have the zero oh. and they don't actually have the text of the review anymore. Wow. All right. I've never listened. I didn't listen to more than that one song by Jet. So I have no idea if that's baseless or not, but they definitely, they're not afraid of hot takes. I mean, in, I felt like maybe in the 2010s, like between 2015 and 2020, the hot takes were for the sake of hot takes they, because they felt like, maybe all of the music media was getting too complimentary. And so they were like, let's remind everyone that it's worth being critical sometimes. Like the Apple music reviews were all, like anything Zane Lowe does is so flowery. And I like watching artists being treated well and being complimented and feeling safe to talk about their work for sure. I'm not saying that, especially non-musicians, as like Lizzo alluded to, should like tear apart a piece of work that they didn't create. Zane is a musician, I think, and so I think he's actually very much a musician. I just think he like blows smoke up their ass all the time and yeah. like says nothing, yeah. does not ask any hard questions. And I do think artists should have a couple of hard questions asked. And like in the digital age, the Zach Sang show, who I will always think this guy is like 14 years old, but he's like kind of close in age to me. He just interviewed Ariana for the like fifth sequential album. And the commenters were all over him for asking basically nothing, which I don't expect her press team to allow anything through about the divorce or about her personal life. I mean, and I think that's reasonable, but it is true that no one has to, uh, I don't know, own anything basically that they're being lambasted for. They just get to talk about their albums. And so I'm, I'm, I'm both like pro and against sometimes. I don't think it's good to be mean, but I'm here for Pitchfork telling them how it is. On a scale of one to 10, knowing they don't give many tens, 
What do you think the most likely either range or on the dot number will be from Pitchfork if they should review Ariana's Eternal Sunshine? I'm getting 6.7 vibes. Mine ended in a 0.7 too. That's hilarious. I think maximum seven, max seven. Yeah, I don't think it's higher. And I think as low as 5.7, somewhere in there. Yeah. I think she's got the yeah. resources to make great that. music. And so I don't think it could be that bad. And we've heard of really great pop songs so far. So I don't think it's going to be bad, but I think they might be bored. Um, all right. So that's, that's Ariana. We'll maybe we can circle back and actually see what the number is. And maybe I'll guess yeah. six, just 6.0. Maybe that'll be my guess. Yeah. I like that. Um, the second and maybe final one that we can cover today, which is soon, is Casey, uh, Casey Musgraves, who, as a country, country pop queen, psych rock also, I don't know if I'm qualifying her exactly correctly, has had a string of popular albums, one more than the other, at least in the last two, which was 2000, I think, 17's, 18's Golden Hour, which was uh, yeah, incredibly you. warmly received. And I believe uh album of the year contender well, it, was the, it was the no it was the album of the year oh it won okay good that's what i thought it won that's what i thought and i think that's deserve it i love that i thought that album was extraordinary and maybe she kind of I brought agree. country back to the gaze in a way that like beyonce's daddy lessons in 2016 started to but didn't commit to and then casey was like no i can get them <laughs> and maybe yeah. now she's doing the most <laughs> um tell yeah. me a little bit about what like the 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 one that came between that uh, was about her divorce and it was called star crossed. And I think you like that significantly more than I did. Uh, how would you characterize what you expect out of Casey and like where she's been recently? Well, that's a great question. I think that golden hour was obviously what propelled her into the stratosphere. I remember I, at the time it was released, I was, um, about to go to grad school in Chicago. And by the time she was touring, I was in Chicago. So that was where I saw her. And I saw her in January or February of 2019. And the ticket was something like 40 bucks. It was at a 1000 person venue, very appropriate for where she was at the mm. time. And she scheduled a sort of second follow on tour for later that year that revisited in a lot of the same cities. But in between those two tour legs, she won album of the year. And Whoa. when I went to go see if I could go to that second tour, it was like $300, $400 resale tickets. The venues were, you know, three or four times bigger. Like that was how quickly it happened for her. Um, Damn. And I think, that, and I think that when that happened and she reached that level, she probably felt a lot of pressure to come back with something that would be seen as worthy of her stardom. And so I think that she kind of fell in the trap of trying to make her own lemonade, if you will, uh, uh, which I think happened to a lot of people. I think it happened to a lot of people in those years, like the first three or four or five years after 2016. Uh, and you remember, I mean, it was it was a visual album that she came back with, Starcrossed, and that was released huh. on Paramount Plus, I want to say. Like she did the whole Beyonce Prestige release on streaming thing. With, oh, like, wow you know, an artistic trailer and everything. And the unfortunate thing was that her message, while powerful and useful and worthy, it was all sort of about picking up the pieces after a divorce and finding self-worth and self-love, which is very important. 
it kind of lacked the really personal edge that set Lemonade apart. I mean, Beyonce did everything in Lemonade. It was a story about her and infidelity in her marriage, but it was also a story about intergenerational trauma, the history of Black women in America. It drew very big parallels between what was happening in her personal life and what has been happening in this country culturally for, for centuries. And so that kind of made the scope of it all feel very big. And Casey kind of had the opposite problem. It was a huge project for a very small scope, just, you know, her failed marriage. And mm-hmm. I think there are great songs on that album that were really interesting with the written and produced um, that I will listen to in isolation all the time, but it doesn't hang together as one cohesive work very well. And then there are also, you know, just now and now it skips. So I love it kind mm-hmm. of for like, it's, inconsistency and its mess and unevenness and there are certain things on there that i think are like among the best that she's ever done but i'm not surprised that it kind of flopped and i remember i went to see her on the star cross tour and people would go bananas for the golden hour songs which were at that point you know one cycle out of date yeah and kind of just like stand there and accept the star cross songs without really you know getting into them so yeah it was it was an interesting time for her for sure that is an interesting point about not everyone on this list where they, and many of them have like to release uh, a divorce or a breakup album. We don't necessarily as like culturally want to hear it from all of them. And it's not necessarily the most interesting story from all of them. Like JLo's newest right. album is, is the opposite of a breakup album, but maybe if, if you and I ever at some point during this year, listen to the album, it's out, you know, <laughs> Uh, you know, I honestly think we should we should listen and watch. We should do both the album and the movie. Right. You know, it's so uh, dark of Spotify. Somewhere in the last two years, they started putting if you're on desktop, which I think most people are not. So maybe this is like kind of a hidden feature. They they show you the stream counts. They actually show you how many times it's been streamed. Like maybe let's see how many people. Oh no, I live for that feature. That is like my 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 bread and butter i love that shit the lowest stream count on the current jennifer lopez album is like two hundred and sixty thousand. i mean which you know to us plebeians feels that's a lot of people like if i ever made something heard by that many people that's amazing but that's not for main pop girly that's not good that's not that's not great uh right but like i feel like maybe people just don't care like they were happy for her to get married to ben affleck and then it was like oh my gosh I don't know. I don't think we care. Ariana's been in and out of like the breakup capacity. This is ostensibly, a div- I mean, it is her divorce album, actually. Casey has done hers. It didn't really hit. Beyonce has done hers. It is the uh, category leading, like canonical, here's how to make a divorce or not. It wasn't divorce, but it like was a like marital suffering album. Uh, she right. like had told right. everyone what it could be and in a sense what it should be in order for people like right. consumers to care like weave a story and like look inward um taylor's entire career dare i say is this is like makeups and breakups on this on the rest of this i think marin is about to release her divorce album kelly clarkson released hers last year i don't know anything about lana's personal life is this going to be a divorce or relationship album of hers she has never been married, as far as I know. Okay. And I don't actually know that she's dating anyone now. There was a period of time where she was dating a hot cop, which like made people feel very conflicted because on the one hand, hot, but on the other hand, cop. Um, uh, 
but she has always been she's always been the type to speak about her life in a very much more abstract way right so i don't know that her specific relationships have ever shown up in her music the way that for example they have in taylor's yeah it's been more veiled she's so much more cinematic about it um yes shakira's releasing her divorce album for sure do you remember the i don't know how long ago the divorce actually happened this is so far ago in the far far in the past now in the press cycle i don't know if you remember this but when she broke up with i think she was married to a soccer aka football player um and i don't know what happened but like she like positioned a like a, a the equivalent of like a voodoo doll towards the house (laughs) of his mother who they had purchased a house for across the street and like he moved out but his mother still lived in this house or something and was playing one of her songs or something do you remember that yes yes 100 percent that happened and i'm trying to remember the specific details but i know exactly what you're talking about so that's the energy around hers um gaga i feel like chromatica was a breakup album i can't remember if that's true but that's what felt like part of it right she has been dating that weird music executive guy for a while. I feel like the the her big breakup was um, Taylor or something. Extremely hot Taylor Kinney. Yes, he's on one of those Chicago shows, Chicago Fire or Chicago Med or Chicago PD or whatever the fuck. But um, fake cop, <laughs> right? Fake cop. <laughs> but uh, that was a long time ago, and I feel like. Okay. She's been in a pretty steady relationship for a while, but I could Okay. Right. So, like, in general, you know, the breakup album's inevitable. In my Bjork series, I pointed to the fact that I think the pin- pinnacle of her career was after all the topics she's covered, be it, like, fracking in Iceland or, like, moving to a big city, <laughs> the, the biggest su- commercial success and artistic merit that she's kind of been celebrated for was her breakup album, her divorce album. So it seems inevitable, and I don't think that people shouldn't take to art to process divorce. It just seems like... I don't know, maybe we're getting a little tired of it, but if this, I don't think Ariana's in a great position to sell that story to us, but I think two albums out, Casey maybe won't be lamenting it anymore. Although I did, I think Casey has also released her track list and some of it is still feels a little breakup-y. Have you seen the track list? Well, it could be a little breakup-y, but she's just talking about now her post-divorce relationship because she was dating that poet guy for like a year and a half who... Was, always seemed very pretentious and always seemed very much like he, you know, the meme about the rupee cower poems, like the things that seem deep when you first read them, but then you realize they're very surface level and specious and kind of a, a oh, funny way. I don't know, but that he always gave resonates. Me those vibes. Yeah. Yeah. But they broke up, I want to say like six months ago or something. So I feel like some of that will make its way into this yeah. album but not so much in like a divorce context but more so just in a i'm 35 i'm too old for shit that doesn't serve me anymore i i think some of these girls need to be told when saturn actually returns because some of them are saying it many 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 years after it's 20 it starts at 27 and it finishes at 29 right well it's funny because casey says that in the very first line of the song deeper well she says my saturn has, returned. has returned when i turned 27 everything changed but this song came out now, and she's 35, so she's that was 30. eight years ago. So she's been going through it. It's giving Adele, who famously titles her albums the age that she is when the story that she wants to tell unfolds. And usually, in the first two albums, it was, like, within two years. So, like, when 19 came out, she was 
turning 21 when 21 came out right. she was turning like 23 24 when 25 came out she was fully 30 and when 30 came out yep. she's like 36 or something <laughs> like, right 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 so they don't actually depict any time recently i guess i guess the the creation cycle prevents that from happening but do you think that maybe we'll do the quickly the same exercise with casey what do you think your perception of this work will be based on maybe the first two songs that came out and what do you, what pitchfork rating would you pro, uh, prospectively assign to the album? Well, you know, we talked about this off the pod, offline, and I, I told you that I was not really feeling the, the lead single, the title track, Deeper Well, when it first came out, because yeah, what I loved about her last two albums was sort of the more unconventional songwriting that she leans into. Like, she has a real talent for identifying melodies and harmonies and chord progressions that sound simultaneously completely novel but then also totally familiar and that's a really underrated skill and i have not heard a lot of that in other places and so i i always look for that from her and i wasn't getting that from deeper well it, it felt very conventional to me i don't think that it crystallized for me until the second single came out i think it's called too good to be true i've been listening to it a lot the last week and i think what hit me about it is that it's just the platonic ideal of really simple, clean songwriting with smart, but not overcomplicated vocal lines, really to the point, direct lyrics. And now I kind of understand where I think she's going and it makes me very excited for it. And I honestly think that the critics are going to love it and the uh, radio and the, the general public are going to completely ignore it. But I'm feeling 8.1 from Pitchfork. That's my guess. Oh, wow. That's an interesting take that the critics will love it. The general public will ignore it. And then you expect to align with who? You think you'll love it? I think that I will end up loving it. Yes. Even though it's not what I thought it would be. Got it. Got it. I am much less of a uh, anthological Casey Stan or fan. I just don't know her up until Golden Hour quite as well. I have gone back and revisited and she's got such bright spots also weirdly i think her christmas special is like the greatest modern pop singers streamable christmas special i watch it every year it's so good but oh, it's incredible i right it's her song with lana specifically i think is the greatest modern christmas duet from any of the pop girls but and i can't remember even what i think it's i'll be home for christmas it's unbelievable but i think the way that you characterized her ability is right on the money she paints like a canvas she creates a sound that she it, it like creates a memory that you maybe haven't had but it invites you in it feels familiar okay. but new that golden hour was and you've actually found the chords right like you sit and play oh, them sometimes yes. absolutely that's yeah. like a jam yeah it's amazing i hope to love this too i think i will love this i did really like deeper well a lot deeper well to me just sounds kind of like her response to marin's response to golden hour <laughs> <laughs> Deeper Well sounds like she wrote it for Marin for Humble Quest, and I'm fine with that. I loved Humble Quest. Totally. I I could see Marin singing that, uh, which is why I like it. And maybe, yeah, I'll I'll go for an eight too. I think she's due for an eight. Um maybe that's our sign to wrap up since the Biloxi uh combo of Wi-Fi and cell service is pulling you away. But y'all, we have such a big year. We have so many releases. I'm not a big, like, I mean, maybe we could do a first listen on like Instagram or something and like create something funny out of it, but oh, yeah, we will definitely circle back to these releases. And then once we 
it's already March. I almost said once it turns March, it's March 3rd as we speak. Uh, we've got Beyonce and Taylor coming. So there's a Literally lot ahead of us. So. Less than four weeks till Beyonce. <laughs> oh my God. Do you think it's a full album? I mean, it just seems improbable. Oh, yeah. It's a full album. It's just like, how no, does it's she a full do album. This? It's absolutely a full album. It's so well, it's quick. because she recorded all this stuff years ago. It came, she was writing and, and recording this stuff in like 2020, 2021, because Tina said in an Instagram post when Texas Hold'em dropped, she said, oh, I've loved this song for years, and I'm so glad you all get to hear it now, too. And everyone was like, years? So apparently, this is like, she was writing and recording all of this stuff in tandem with Act One during the height of the pandemic. It's very the filming of the Lord of the Rings, the whole trilogy all at once. Yes. 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 And then she staggers yes, the releases. Exactly. So yeah. Exactly. So we'll yeah we'll 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 get there. We'll see it. Tina is the most hilarious part of Beyonce's life, bar none. She is always saying things she shouldn't. Her posts on Instagram are yep. always pixelated screenshots that she hasn't cropped correctly. She's always spelling things wrong. <laughs> she's but you know that beyonce knows that the beehive loves her for that like they see her for it yes. and so she lets her yes. do it but she's leaked things like yes. a couple times and then had to delete yep. them uh but god bless tina who i think just turned 70 if that's possible i think that i saw that somewhere right. which is right. unreal uh and tina got a big moment at the hair care launch release where like they did like a hair show that tina used to do so i love that b's taking her along for the ride but Yes, friends, we'll we'll get there. We have a lot ahead of us. And literally just as far as this list is concerned, there's like, you know, 20, 20 more main pop girl albums alone. And uh, maybe before we wrap up real quick, like there's a lot of big tours happening right now. Like Olivia Rodrigo's tour for Guts is happening right now. Oh, I know. Blanketing social media. Honestly, it makes me want to go. It does look very young tween girl infested, which is not necessarily a, a vibe that I would do well in but it i want to see her and she looks like she's killing it i would kill to be there not just for her i love her and i really want to see her but also because the opener is chapel road my new obsession. oh damn you love yeah, chapel i know i gotta figure out a way to make it happen i don't know if it will but you know well she's at coachella if you can if you can make coachella happen you can I go will see at chapel. least be in the right part of the country for that so Maybe we can very, very randomly make Coachella happen. We I always do see each it. other in late April. <laughs> that is true. Actually, this would be a great. This would be great for the pod if we could make this happen. We go live from the pod. Would we get influencer treatment? Hey guys, I have six followers. <laughs> 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 we could. You know what? You never know until you try, and you only fail hey, if you don't try. So I would love to walk around Coachella expecting VIP treatment until I get it and just con them <laughs> into it. Perfect. All right. Well, Alec, thank you so much for dialing in. Y'all, you don't know how much energy I'm getting from just sitting here over the phone slash Wi-Fi lines talking to one of my best friends. And it's wonderful to share this digital space with you and to live in a time when this is possible. I'm excited to put this out. I don't know if it'll be one or two pieces, but uh, we're very hopeful that you'll come back if if you'll have us. Yes, please do. It's a lot more fun when you have people involved. You know, the more the merrier. So, yeah. The Back. the more the friggin merrier um and with that y'all thanks for tuning into the vocal follow along on the socials alec do you want any new followers you want to plug yourself <laughs> well you know what i will plug myself when i'm back on social media i'm currently there we on go. a hiatus but in the future i got it 
Okay, great. And you can follow us along at he's underscore Galt on, this will probably go on YouTube just with like a cover art. And then on Instagram, this will be on Spotify. We'll get it on all the other platforms at some point. And we'll see y'all next time. Thanks for tuning in.